Welcome back to Ion On Call, a podcast from Ion Solutions, where we discuss the latest industry information relevant to our GPO member practices. In this episode, we connected with some of Ion's practice leaders to discuss their struggles and successes with securing COVID vaccines for their practices and patients. My name is John Dodd, and I'm the Director for Business and Clinical Consulting, Specialty Physician Services with Marisource Bergen. Joining me today is two of our Marisource Bergen practice leaders. First is Shelly Wrench, Administrator for Gabriel Cancer Center in Canton, Ohio, as well as the COO for the Liberty Clinics and Employer Health Care Savings. Over the t- past 25 years, Shelly has been part of adding multiple service lines to the practice, including the most recent line of service, COVID mitigation. Also joining us is Bob Phelan, the CEO for Cancer Specialists of North Florida. Bob has had a management role with this practice for over 24 years. He currently manages 13 sites of service and has over 30 physicians working in the practice. Practice has about 400 employees who is desperately trying to get vaccinated. Welcome to the both of you. Thank you. Thanks for having us. Thank you. Shelly, I'd like to start with you today. Can you please tell us the efforts that you've done to try to get the vaccinations into your practice, not only for your patients, but also for your staff? Well, thanks again, uh, guys, for having me come in. I was able to actually give my staff a great Christmas present. They received their first COVID vaccination on December 26th. The reason we were a high priority is due to the COVID mitigation that we've been doing now for almost a year. Because of the relationships with our employers of large manufacturing plants and food production companies, the employers reached out to us to help keep their essential companies open. Um, They were experiencing 60 to 70% of employees being out with symptoms or calling off. So we provided staff to do temperature checks and COVID testing on site initially for 17 plants in Ohio and North Carolina. Uh, We also did add mobile mitigation for our Amish community. We've done on the upwards of about 17,000 Amish people in that community. So far we've added 51 nurses to do all of this, which brought our total employee count to 98. Now, unfortunately, in the state of Ohio, in order to get healthcare workers vaccinated, you have to have at least 100 healthcare workers in in the practice. So we didn't qualify. So what I did is I reached out to our local health department who knew exactly what we were doing and doing our part in keeping COVID at bay with all of our COVID mitigation. So they agreed to put our staff ahead of a lot of the rest. So we were able to do that in December and early January. Now, as far as our patients, we applied to receive vaccines for a retail pharmacy because in the state of Ohio, pharmacies are actually listed to receive them ahead of practices. So as soon as we applied, of course, you know, Dr. Gabriel with his contacts and whatnot, he reached out to our state senator who knows us extremely well. He wrote a letter of recommendation and actually marched our application and his recommendation to the Ohio Department of Health. And we were approved within two weeks to be a site for administration. We should be getting the vaccine for our patients in about two weeks. Fantastic. Great. Bob, following up on this, can you give us uh, an idea of the efforts you've put in so far for your patients as well as your staff? Yeah. First of all, I'd like to thank you guys for having me on as well, too. It's, it's good to see you. So, 
I, you know, our, our plate here in Florida has been um, a very frustrating one. And if some of that comes out in my conversation, I apologize in advance for that. But so, you know, that we, we had a, a significant effort to try to get our staff vaccinated. And so we really started with Pfizer. We called Pfizer on the phone and asked them if they, what we needed to do so that we could get some vaccine. And they said that they had really no control over that. We had to register with the state. So we went and asked, called the states, and we had to get what was called a COVID vaccine application. And we got this COVID vaccine application, and we filled it out and sent it in, even though we, as a practice, had already been registered with the state to give vaccines. It didn't apply to the COVID vaccine. We had to fill out a special application to get it. And then, even though we had this ability to, to provide vaccines in the office, because we give flu shots, and our pharmacists do that now, we had to fill out what was called a VFC enrollment. And that was a vaccine for children enrollment form too. So here we are now, we're a couple weeks into the process of knowing that the applicant or that the, that the injections or the vaccines are available and we can't get them. And so it sort of set off some alarm bells for us. And we started calling the representatives of the state to try to get the vaccine for our employees unsuccessful or they promised us one time they were going to send us 300 vials and then they called us back the day before they were supposed to come and said we're really sorry we can't send them to you and they called us again or actually wrote to us and said well we're going to send you 100 vials and they never came to us so we started looking for alternatives and what we did was the hospitals were providing that coverage to employees in the healthcare arena and so what we did was we wrote letters for all of our employees so our employees could go. And then we gave them two hours worth of time so they could travel to get the vaccine and come back. So we, were, we had half the people that had gotten the vaccine, half the people that hadn't gotten their vaccine. Half of them had gotten them at one hospital. 10% had gotten them in another. Another group had gotten them in, in another hospital that we had gotten them from. So we had a hodgepodge of people. We didn't give up, though. We were, we were, we were determined to get some vaccines. So what we did was we, we kept calling them. They promised us 100 vials, and, and we called them and said, look, guys, we, we need these 100 vials. And so the day before, they called us, and they sent us 50. They sent us 50 vials. So we did have a number of people in the office that we took those 50 vials to, and they promised us 50 more, so there'd be 100 total. And we went through the office, and we vaccinated the rest of the people or the rest of the people that wanted it. It was interesting how more people wanted it if we had it available to them in the office where it was convenient for them to get it. So we had, I think right now we, we kept a tally. I think we have 71% of our people are vaccinated, 30 are not. A lot of those people that are not are in the group that actually had COVID. And they're not, at least the recommendation right now, and maybe you guys know differently, but the recommendation we read is that they should wait to get their vaccine. And that's what we've done is we've waited to get them their vaccine or told them they should wait since they have natural immunity that came from them getting the disease in the first place. So it's been very, very frustrating for me to, to get the vaccine or to try to get the vaccine. And I don't know whether it's a state-specific problem or it's just we, we just didn't have the connections that that you may have had in other areas of the country. So that's, that was really our, our vaccination story at this point. Wow. Talk about jumping through hoops to try to satisfy a very valid need for your staff. What about your patients, Bob? Did you have any success uh, taking care of your patients? We had no success taking care of any of the patients. Uh, we had actually petitioned to the, the local... Uh, representatives to see if we could get vaccine delivered. And I had a couple of the other uh, practices, the family practice group and the GI group bonded with me. We wrote a letter and sent it off to the, you know, the local uh, authorities to see if we could get vaccines so we could give it to the patients. And 
they said that the hospitals can get it and the local pharmacies would have it and they could get it through there. So we have not, other than those 50 vials that I got about a week and a half ago, I haven't been able to get any more vaccine. And we, we call them like every day or every other day begging to get it, just can't get it. Well, I do know because I follow the COVID vaccine story every day. It's one of the things I'm, I do. And I do know that this, what you're talking about, Bob, is not uncommon. I'm seeing the stories across the board, across the entire country of, you know, people trying to get a hold of the vaccine and just not able to do so. Living in Florida myself, I'm very familiar with the stories here. But, you know, there are a number of places that, you know, the people are waiting in line for hours to try to get in. And then by the time they get to the head of the line, sometimes they've run out of vaccine. So it's definitely a, a huge problem from a distribution standpoint. And a lot of times the, the websites, I think the other day I heard that one of the, the major supermarkets that had signed up people within an hour after they opened their website up to be able to get people signed up to get the vaccine, it crashed, which is a pretty common oh story as well. So, you know, there are a lot of hurdles and a lot of tumultuous things that people are having to go through to be able to, to get this vaccine. It's a shame that they didn't have the vaccine distribution come through people who did distribution for a living. I mean, if Amerisource had had it and Cardinal had had it, McKesson had had it, I'm not saying it would have been any better, but I, I think at least you guys have the mechanism to do that already in place. But I think in, in the state of Florida, they were trying to recreate that wheel. That wheel had not been invented here, or we didn't have that distribution arm for the people that were trying to distribute it. You guys already had it. I mean, they, I, I wish they'd have called somebody like yourself and said, hey, help us distribute this, because I think you'd have done a much better job of it. I agree. I think the distribution is one aspect that really needed to be reworked. But once it gets there, though, then there's a whole different set of hurdles that have to be jumped through. I know somebody locally where I live pulled up to one of the local festival grounds, and the person didn't even have to get out of their car. They had this system smoothed out enough where they drove up, they presented their identification, they showed where they had completed their application online, answered all the questions, Everything was satisfactory. Boom, they got their shot. They waited 15 minutes to ensure there wasn't any reaction. And they drove off. So, you know, there are some people that are doing it right. There are some people that are not necessarily doing it right. And the ones that aren't doing it right are the ones we hear about all the time, unfortunately, versus some of the success stories that people could take and emulate. And, and to that point, Bob, since you're already up, is there any kind of additional helpful hints or tips that either you or maybe some of your fellow practices have talked about to be able to try to circumvent some of these issues that you've run into, some of the things that maybe have come up just in conversation or maybe something that, you know, that you, you've seen? Because anything that we can put out to help the practices to understand how they can try to get around some of these issues would be extremely helpful. Yeah, I mean, I think, you know, having, I think you brought up a really good point, John, about trying to have a way that you can actually move the patients and or staff through the vaccination process. I mean, we, we actually had to devise because, you know, we were worried about the side effects. So we had a check-in area, a shot area, and then a waiting area. 
for even our employees to go through. And I think if you can think about how you need to operationalize that in your office, if you do get the vaccine and how that should happen for you, I think it certainly saves time. I think it, at least from a from an injection standpoint, we probably were able to give about, with one pharmacist now, one pharmacist and an assistant, able to give about 10 vaccines an hour. So just to give you some metrics for another group that maybe doesn't have the, the vaccines and haven't given them before, what the expectations should be in terms of your usage. I think the other thing you need to make sure that you take care of is there has to be some record keeping process. I think you're required to keep the records for four or five years. I, I don't know exactly what the requirements were again. And so how that process works. So we, we had a list of cards and then we had a secretary load them all into a spreadsheet so we could keep track of that in case anybody came back to ask us if our people had gotten vaccinated. So those are probably the things that, that spring to mind in terms of what I would encourage the other practices to do. Uh, having that crisp process about how that injection is going to be given in the office and a waiting area for reactions, because we did have a couple of reactions in the office to make sure that's taken care of and done safely, I think is what you want to have in place. Okay, great. Thank you. Shelly, how about from your perspective? I know you guys in Ohio in particular, and because of how efficient your practice is and the contacts that you have, is there any kind of additional tips or hints or any kind of information that you could provide to our practices on what they can potentially do or look at to see if they can't resolve some of their distribution on the vaccinations? Well, to me, diversification is always key in community oncology practices surviving. In our case, being there for the essential employers paid off for us, not only in getting our staff vaccinated, but it also added the new line of revenue, which actually, by the way, disqualified us from getting the second round of PPP. So I, I think that not all practices can diversify and it's a little bit probably late in the game to go out there and do COVID mitigation, but we don't know. If, if COVID mitigation is still needed and this continues to go on, I don't know what we did you know, in, in helping out and doing what's right for our community actually you know, provided us with a good benefit to our staff. The second thing is talk to your local health department because you can actually try to make a case as to you know why you need the vaccine for your patients and your staff, obviously. We've had some success with our employers who are clients now in getting approved for max vaccinations since they're essential. One is 100% chickens for Chick-fil-A. Um, and even the one nurse, she says, you know, just load up our ultra cold freezer on the back of our pickup truck, just like an ice cream truck and uh, drive around to all the different chicken farms and administer the vaccine, which we're going to do. We've been approved in North Carolina to do that as well. So we're gonna be you know, playing, I don't know what kind of a playlist with that ice cream truck, but we're gonna be darting down to North Carolina <laughs> and taking care of three different large chicken farms. So you know, I, I, think, I, I think just diversification, keeping your eyes and ears open in a practice is essential. You bring up a very valid point there. You know, one of the things that we're seeing when you talk about the COVID mitigation is one, none of us have a crystal ball, so we don't know what that future holds. And unfortunately, sometimes some of the things that have come out that, that we've been told by the CDC and other authorities are, that are going to happen don't happen or happen in a different way, and it causes everybody to have to change. You know, there was a recent story that came out in the last couple of days that by April, the thought process is that it's going to be open season for vaccines, that anybody that wants one can get one. And I know the government just put in an order for another 200 million doses, which 
according to that story, it should be everybody in the United States should be able to get a vaccine if they want. So I think that, you know, there's still this, this COVID mitigation, I don't think is over with, just my opinion, for what that's worth. I do think it's one situation that we're going to be dealing with, not only in the near future, but for extended period of time, depending on what you read and what you listen to. So I think the information that the both of you have provided today, you know, should, should hopefully give some folks some food for thought give them some ideas about how they can potentially look at getting the vaccinations that they, you know, they haven't maybe thought of before. And I think the County Health Department is an excellent suggestion because a lot of times people forget about them and they do have a lot of resources available to them. So. If I can segue on that for just a second, John, add one more thing. I, you know, I, I think it was interesting for us, in some ways, I couldn't decide whether not getting the vaccine was a blessing or a curse. And and the reason why is because I, I just barely got enough to give it to all my employees. But had I gotten it and in a limited supply for my offices, who should I have given it to? And it would have been a very difficult problem for us to try to solve because I have 13 sites of service. Well, if I have an extra 100 doses, am I sending them to the big site? Am I sending them to the small site? Am I sending it to the most remote site? And then if I do, how do I triage the patients? Is it the 65 that have other, other disease states going on? Is it the just over 65? Is it the under 65? Is it the wives of the physicians? Is it the kids of the physicians? So there was a whole series of questions that came up in that conversation about getting the vaccine, about who should we give it to if we're going to give it in the office? which created a whole other set of problems for us in the board when we sat down to try to figure it out. Absolutely. I understand exactly where you're coming from. And that's, and those are all very, very valid points, very, very valid concerns because some of the guidelines that have come out have been pretty clear. And there's others that have been very nebulous, very unclear, very, you know, and then they seem to change. You know, it seems like, you know, the, the, the guidelines seem to change. You know, the federal government pushed it down to the states to take and run with this. Some of the states did fairly well. Other states did horribly. So, you know, I think the fact is, it's extremely tough to know and to understand which way it should go. So I think your your points you bring up are very, very valid. So with that, I thank you both for the information you brought forth today. It was extremely beneficial, very detailed. I'm hopeful that the listeners to this podcast have some action points that they can move forward with. So again, thank you for your information. Thank you for your expertise. That's all for this episode of Ion On Call. Subscribe to our channel to get notified when the next episode drops. If you have any questions for today's guests, email iononcall at gmail.com. We also want to make sure you're getting the most out of our content. So if you have a topic you would like to learn more about, let us know. That email again is iononcall at gmail.com. I-O-N on call at gmail.com. Until next time, stay safe and thanks for listening.